0: section three of a night there was this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by roger muleen a night there was by robert f young section three rowena fell for the yore hook line and sinker not even the modern interior gave her pause those objects which happened to be beyond her ken and there were many of them she interpreted as appointments befitting a noble knight, and as for the rooms themselves, she merely identified them with the rooms out of her own experience that they most closely resembled. Thus the rec hall became the banquet hall, the supply room became the kitchen, the control room became the sorcerer's tower, the tourist compartments became the sleeping tower, Mallory's bedroom office became the Lord's Quarters, the lavatory became the chapel, and the generator room became the dungeon. Only two things disconcerted her—the absence of servants and the fact that easy money was stabled in the banquet hall. Mallory got around the first by telling her that he had given the servants a leave of absence— and she herself got around the second by declaring it to be no more than fitting for such a splendid steed to be accorded special treatment certainly mallory reflected she was nothing if she was not cooperative after showing her around he wasted no time in getting down to the business on hand and stepping into the control room he punched out the data necessary to take the yore back to seven fifteen p m of the same day and to rematerialize it one half mile west of its present position, as an overlap was bound to occur, there was a barely noticeable tremor as the transition took place, and simultaneously the darkness showing in the control room telewindow transmuted to dusk, turning away from the jump board, he saw Rowena regarding him with large eyes from the doorway. "'We're now back to a point in time that precedes the theft of the Sangraal," he told her, "'and we're relocated farther down the valley. "'But don't let it throw you. "'None other than Merlin himself built the magic apparatus you see before you in this room, and you know yourself that once he makes up his mind to it, Merlin can do anything.' She blinked once, but evinced no other signs of surprise. "'Yea, fair sir,' she said. "'I am aware of the magic of Merlin.' "'However,' Mallory went on, "'magic such as this isn't something for a gentlewoman such as yourself to fool around with. "'So I must forbid you to enter this room during my absence from the castle. "'Also, while we're on the subject, "'I must also forbid you to leave the castle during my absence.' Merlin would be upset no end if there were two damsels that hight Rowena gallivantin' around the countryside at the same time. She blinked again. By my troth, fair sir, she said, I would lever die than disobey thy two commands. And then, have ye ate any meat late? This time Mallory blinked. Meat? Meat? IT IS FITTING THAT ye SHOULD EAT MEAT BEFORE ye RIDE OUT. OH, YOU MEAN FOOD. I'LL EAT WHEN I GET BACK. BUT THERE'S NO NEED FOR YOU TO WAIT. HE TOOK HER INTO THE SUPPLY ROOM AND SHOWED HER WHERE THE VACUUM TINS WERE STORED. YOU OPEN THEM LIKE THIS, HE EXPLAINED, PULLING ONE OUT AND ACTIVATING THE DESEALER. THEN, AS SOON AS THE CONTENTS COOL OFF A LITTLE, YOU SIT DOWN TO DINNER. But this be not meat, she objected. Maybe not, but it's a good substitute, and a lot better for you. A thought struck him, and he took her into the lavatory and showed her how to operate the hot and cold water dispenser, ascribing the setup to more of Merlin's magic. He debated on whether to explain the function and purpose of the adjacent shower, decided not to. There was a limit to all things, and an apparatus for washing one's whole body was simply too far-fetched for anyone living in the sixth century to take seriously. Back in the rec hall, he donned his helmet and gauntlets, reset the gauntlet timepiece, picked up his spear and encephalopathed easy money to his side. Mounting, he set the spear in the stirrup socket. Rowena gazed up at him, blue eyes round with awe and admiration, and concern. "'Wit ye well, fair sir,' she said, "'that Sir Lancelot, the which is thy father, "'is a knight of many victories, and therefore ye must take care.' Mallory grinned. "'Dismay you not, fair damsel. "'I'll smite him from his steed before he can say Queen Guinevere.' He straightened his sword belt, activated the yore's lock, and rode across the mirage moat and entered the forest. The portcullis closed behind him. Dusk had become darkness by the time he reached the highway. Approximately half an hour later he would reach the highway again. However, the seeming paradox did not disconcert him in the least. This was far from being the first time he had backtracked himself on a job. As before, he spurned the shadows of the bordering oaks and beeches, and encephalopathed easy money to keep to the center of the lane. And, as before, no one was abroad. Probably King Pellis's wassail was already in progress, or, if not, the goodly knights and gentlewomen were still at Evensong. In any event, he reached the lane that led to the castle of Carbonic without mishap. After entering the lane he encephalopathed easy money into the concealment of the shadows of the bordering trees and settled back in the saddle to wait rowena's placing the time of the theft at a little while afore eight of the clock had been a general estimate at best hence he had allowed himself plenty of leeway and had arrived on the scene a little early it was well that he had For hardly a minute passed before he heard hoofbeats approaching from the south, and presently he saw a tall knight astride a resplendent steed turn into the lane. His armor gleamed in the moonlight and bespoke a quality and class that only a knight of Sir Launcelot's status would be able to afford. Mallory watched him ride down the lane to the lion flanked entrance and heard him announce himself as Sir Launcelot. The portcullis was raised without delay, and the night rode through the gateway and disappeared from view. Mallory frowned in the darkness. Something about the incident had failed to jibe. He thought back, but he could isolate nothing that, in retrospect anyway, seemed in the least incongruous. He tried again with the same result and at length he concluded that the note of discord had originated in his imagination. Again he settled back to wait. He wasn't particularly worried about the outcome of the forthcoming encounter. The superiority of the weapons and armor should be more than enough to see him through. But just the same, he wished there was some way to avoid it. There wasn't, of course. Sir Launcelot's theft of the Sangreale was already incorporated, in fact, and, as a fait accompli, could not be obviated by a previous theft. All Mallory could do was to make his move after the fait accompli, in the hope that that was when he had made his move. A time thief didn't have nearly as much leeway as his seeming freedom of movement might lead the uninitiated to believe. About all he could do was to play along with destiny and await his opportunities. If destiny smiled, he succeeded. If destiny frowned, he did not. However, Mallory was optimistic about his forthcoming bid for the Grail, for if it wasn't in the books for him to wrest the cup from Sir Launcelot, the chances were he wouldn't have gotten as far as he had. He estimated that it would take the man five minutes to enter the castle, proceed to the chamber, seize the sangreal, return to the courtyard, and come riding back to the portcullis. Seven minutes proved to be nearer the mark. In response to a hail from within the wall, several of the warders bent to the windlass, whereupon the portcullis scraped and groaned aloft, and the tall knight came riding out just as the hands of Mallory's timepiece registered 7.43 p.m. Mallory let him pass, straining his eyes in vain for a glimpse of the Sangreal. He waited till Sir Launcelot was half a hundred yards down the highway before he encephalopathed easy money to follow, and he waited till a bend in the road hid the castle of Carbonic from view before encephalopathing the command to charge. At this point... Sir Launcelot became aware that he was no longer alone, and wheeled his steed around. Without an instant's hesitation, he dressed his spear and launched a counter-charge. All Mallory could think of was a twentieth-century steam locomotive bearing down upon him. He swallowed grimly, aventured his own spear, and upped easy money's pace. Two could play at being locomotives the approaching knight and steed loomed larger the sound of hoofbeats crescendoed into staccato thunder the spear pointing straight toward Mallory's breastplate had something of the aspect of a jet-propelled flagpole hurriedly he got his shield into position maybe the man would spot the red cross realize its significance and slow down if he spotted it he gave no sign and only came the faster Mallory braced himself for the forthcoming impact. However, the impact never occurred. At the last moment, his antagonist directed the spear point at Mallory's helmet, did something that made it separate itself from the shaft to the accompaniment of a gout of incandescence and come streaking through the air like a little comet. Mallory tried to dodge, but he would have been equally as successful if he had tried to dodge a real comet. There was a deafening clang in the region of his left audio amplifier, and the whole left side of his face went numb. Just before he blacked out, he saw the oncoming knight veer his steed, wheel it around, and ride off. A peal of all-too-familiar laughter drifted back over the man's shoulder. "'Now!' said the rent a robogog you will try again a is for adam b is for bomb c is for conform d is for dollar e is for economy and f is for fun what comes after f the boy mallory squirmed in his abc chair i don't know what comes next and i don't care I'll box your ears, the rent-a-robogog threatened. You wouldn't dare. Yes, I would. I'm a physical chastisement model, you know. Now, we'll try once more. A is for Adam, B is for bomb. C is for conform. D is for dollar. E is for economy. And F is for fun. What comes after F? I told you that I didn't know and that I didn't care. I warned you, said the rent-a-robogog. Ow! the boy Mallory cried. Ow! the man Mallory groaned, sitting up in the weeds beside the early sixth-century highway. All was silence around him, if you discounted the stridulations of insects and the piqueep karak karak karak" of frogs. A few yards away, easy money stood immobile in the moonlight. Mallory raised his hand to his helmet and felt the sizable dent that the spear point had made. Gingerly, he took the helmet off. Who in the world would have dreamed that they had jet rifles in this day and age? The absurdity of the thought snapped him back to full awareness. A moment later, he remembered the peal of familiar laughter. Perfidion. The man must have wanted the grail desperately to have come after it himself, which meant that it was probably worth much more than he had let on. But how had he known when and where to essay the lift? More specifically, how had he found out when and where to essay the lift on such short notice? Mallory thought back. He was reasonably certain that he had made no slips of the tongue during his visit to the Perfidian Tower, and during the ensuing game of gulp, and he was equally certain that he had let fall no revealing references to the place-time he had so carefully pinpointed. Where, then, had he gone astray? Suddenly, way back in his mind, Perfidian said, by the way tom i take it you're all set as regards costume equipment and the like i've got the sweetest little suit of armor you ever laid eyes on mallory heard himself answer he swore so that was it all perfidion had needed to do was to make the rounds of the costumers who specialize in armor and to shell out a few kennedys to the one mallory had patronized last then in possession of the knowledge that mallory was embarking into the past as sir galahad all perfidion had had to do was to consult one of the many experts he kept at his beck and call the expert had undoubtedly told him where sir galahad was supposed to have found the grail before taking it to Siras, and equally as important approximately when the event was supposed to have taken place Further questions could not have failed to elicit the additional information that Sir Launcelot had come to the chamber of the Sangreal before Sir Galahad had, and from this Perfidion had undoubtedly deduced that Sir Launcelot could very well have been a time thief in disguise too, and that the man, having arrived on the scene first, could very well have been responsible for the Grail's so-called return to heaven despite what legend said to the contrary. Certainly it had been a gamble worth taking, and obviously Perfidion had taken it, and won the jackpot. But that didn't mean he was going to keep the jackpot. Not by a long shot. Mallory encephalopathed easy money to his side and pulled himself to his feet with the help of the left stirrup and hung his helmet on the pommel. Then he picked up his spear and clambered into the saddle. "'We're not beat yet, Easy Money,' he said. "'Giddy-up!' Easy Money whinnied, stamped its feet, and started back toward the yore. A short while later, they passed the lane that led to the castle of Carbonick. Presently, Mallory heard the clip-clop of approaching hoofbeats and not wanting to risk an encounter in his weakened condition he encephalo guided the row horse off the highway and into the deep shadows of a big oak. There was something tantalizingly familiar about the horse and rider coming down the highway. Small wonder. The horse was easy money, and the rider was himself. He was on his way to the castle of Carbonic to lift the Holy Grail. Mallory gazed after his retreating figure disgustedly, "'Sucker!' he said. End of Section 3 Recording by Roger Moline